Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved. How are you? I'm so pleased to be with you. Um, It is the Feast of St. Titus in the Extraordinary Form, and we are a day from the Vigil of Epiphany. Epiphany is Saturday, and the Vigil is first class, and that is tomorrow. Um, You know, um, most of us know the Epiphany as the arrival of the three kings recognizing uh, the Messiah, the God of Israel, which is 100% correct, of course. But it's so thrilling because God formed the people Israel from Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through his son Judah, through his son David, right to the Christ, the Messiah, who is the son of David <clears throat> and the Savior of the world. God formed a people for himself, not because they were a good people. In fact, they were no people. They just started with Abraham. Abraham wasn't even a Jew. He was from a pagan uh, culture. His parents were idol worshipers. But he became an Israelite um, because he is the first one that God called to form his people. And he was an Israelite. Um, And his son... Isaac, again, uh, he had Esau and Isaac, but Isaac was the chosen one. And then Isaac um, uh, had, uh, no, I I did that wrong, didn't I? Jacob had Ishmael and Isaac, and Isaac was the chosen one. And then Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and the Messianic line would continue through um, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 children. And the Messianic line would continue through one of them named Judah. Uh, Genesis 49, verse, chapter 49, verse 10, speaks of him who would come, uh, who would rule the nations. Um, and the Jewish people today, even unbelievers, know that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah and through the family of David from Judah's tribe. And David was... Uh, raised and born and ruled about a thousand years before the Christ, which in Hebrew, the word Christ is Messiah or Mashiach. Um, And God formed a people for himself for one reason. Well, to make his name known throughout all the world as the waters cover the sea, but to bring a savior to the world, uh, one who would redeem not only his people Israel, but the entire world. Uh, People say, well, the gospel went out to the Gentiles because Israel rejected uh, Jesus, but they didn't reject Jesus. The church is Israel, uh, fulfilled in its Messiah, spread to the four corners of the earth. God has always used a remnant. He chose a remnant. They spent 40 years in the wilderness to accomplish an 11-mile journey. Because of their disobedience, they went around in circles, and it was just Caleb and Joshua who entered the the land. God has had his people 
but he's always worked through a faithful remnant. Gideon's army, there were thousands, and he reduced them to 300. 300 men against an army of thousands would be impossible, but not with God. God likes to show his glory. And so, though the majority of leaders in Israel rejected the Messiah when he came, he came to his own. John wrote in the Gospel of John, those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, John 1.11. And so, um, many, many rejected him. However, the disciples, even though they questioned, how could this be? They followed him. Um, And uh, the 12 disciples, 11 at the Last Supper, there were 12, but Judah, uh, Judas defected, so there were 12, 11, and then Matthias was chosen to make up Judas' place, so there'd always be 12. Um, and God, uh, through those 12 Jewish disciples, instituted the Eucharist, um, the New Covenant in his blood, and, um, and the priesthood, which is the co- not the common priesthood of the people, which God affected in Exodus chapter 19 with the Israelites, but the ministerial priesthood um, that God always had for the leaders of Israel over his people, and now the leaders of the new Israel over his people, the priesthood. Um, there's a ministerial priesthood and a common priesthood. We are the common priesthood of man, bringing people to God. But the ministerial priesthood has always been the case um, from Aaron, <clears throat> Moses' brother on, and it does it's not abolished. Uh, everything in the Old Testament was a shadow of the reality to come. God did not abandon the priesthood, but it was transformed into the priesthood of Christ, with him being the high priest, and the ministerial priesthood under him, and the common priesthood us people under them. Um, and Isaiah preached that Israel would be a light to the nations right back then, not just Jewish people, but to the nations. Nations is tra- translated also the word Gentile. Gentile and nation are one word, and um, um, uh, that's what God's purpose always was. So, the gospel going to the nations, to the Gentiles, to other than Jews, uh, which came from the Jewish people, through them and for them, for the whole world. The whole world is not plan B. The whole world is plan A. The gospel came to the Jew first, as Paul writes to the Romans. I'm not ashamed that of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles, the nations, all the same words. There's two people in the world, Jews and non-Jews, Jews and non-Jews. And with the coming of Messiah, um, Pope Pius XII said, we're all spiritual Semites. Um, we are grafted in to the vine that is Israel. Um, and the only way of salvation is through Israel's Messiah, who is the Messiah of the world. So, I, I hope I wasn't too confusing there. Um, our major feast here, the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Why the name Mother of... We want to be Daughters of Mary, the Mother of the Messiah. Why Mother of Israel's Hope? Because the hope of the world, the hope and consolation of Israel 
is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Redeemer, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world. And, <clears throat> and because she is the mother of Jesus, he is the Savior of the world, and he is the hope and consolation of Israel. Mary is the mother of Israel's hope, who is Jesus, who is the Messiah. So we are daughters of Mary, mother of Israel's hope. And our major feast day, our, our, the lady of our order is Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's quite a story I've mentioned before. We didn't choose her. Um, in fact, we specifically did not choose her. But she moved in, and we have no say. So she's our mother. Um, but our main feast day is coming up on February 2nd, which is the normal traditional day for the end of Christmas tide, the Christmas season, February 2nd, which is uh, the feast of the presentation of the Savior, the Messiah of Jesus in the temple. According to the old law, Jesus was born under the law of Moses, and um, parents had to bring their firstborn to the temple to offer him uh, to God or to offer an exchange of a lamb or a sacrifice. And in this case, uh, if people were poor, they could bring turtle doves or other offerings. And Joseph and Mary, according to the law of Moses, came to the temple with Jesus to offer him to God. And Joseph, Mary was carrying the baby, and Joseph was carrying two turtle doves. And outside that temple was an aged man called Simeon. And Simeon was told somehow by the Holy Spirit, Jewish man, a prophet, that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. He waited for the Messiah according to the promise of Abraham and Isaac and Jeremiah and all the prophets. He waited, and he was not to die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And there he stood outside the temple, and there were many, many, many dozens of parents bringing their children according to the law uh, to offer them to the law under the law of Moses. But Simeon spotted Mary with the child, and he knew exactly who that child was. And he went up to them, and he took the child from Mary's arms, and he held him up, and he said, Okay, Lord, now I can die. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Jesus means salvation the Savior of the world. Simeon said, it's the nunc dimittis, it's the compline, it's the night prayer of the church, which every religious, every priest, every cardinal, the Pope himself, every religious, and many lay people, but religious are, are bound uh, on, on, on penalty of sin to pray this prayer every single night at compline, at night prayers. And all the uh, lay people, Pope Benedict encouraged everyone to pray this prayer. There's the music for our um, first break, beloved. We'll come back and I'll, I'll recite that prayer to you, which many of you also know by heart. Don't go away. And after the second um, uh, segment, we will take your calls and your emails and the toll-free number, if you wish to call in ahead, is one 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back.
Hi, Joe McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's A Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't have what it takes to make a difference? Have you ever prayed, God, I want to make a difference in this world, but I'm not sure I have the ability. How can you use me to make a difference? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live. And I hope you can see us now on video. Somehow the video went out during our first portion. Um, but we are speaking about um, uh, epiphany coming up and, um, and the fact that God chose a people for himself, Israel, uh, to bring, to be a light to the nations, to be a to bring the Savior to the whole world, and the fact that the Gentiles, which is another word for nations, was not plan B in God's mind. It was always, always, always plan A. Um, I'm looking now at Isaiah chapter 49, <clears throat> and Isaiah um, is, uh, God is speaking to Isaiah, and through Isaiah, and Isaiah says in 49 verse 5, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Jacob is another name for Israel. You might remember when Jacob strove with the angel of God up the ladder, God uh, dislocated Jacob's hip, and he had a limp from that day on. And he changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means to strive with God. So to bring Jacob back to him, to God, 
is to bring Israel back to God because they kept turning from him, just like we do. And that Israel might be gathered to him. For I, God is speaking, I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. No, God is speaking to uh, Isaiah. I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And God says, now listen to this, God says to, to Israel through Isaiah, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will give you, Jacob, Israel, as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's God's purpose in forming Israel, not because they're special. In fact, God has said to them, you are a stubborn, stiff-necked people. But Israel has been preserved and will be, by the way, not because of their faithfulness. They are turned from him even today, but because of God's faithfulness. He chose Israel and formed them as a people through whom he would bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Israel was given the vocation of being a light to the nations. They failed over and over and over again until our Lord came, died on the cross for their sins and our sins, rose from the dead to give life, and said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, now, 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 you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You, had, you hadn't the power to do this before, and you kept turning from me. But now you have, because of Pentecost, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now you are to go out to all the nations, to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the world, to bring my gospel to every creature. And once the gospel reach every cre- reaches every creature, the end shall come. And so this is the vocation of Israel, which was set off at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit empowered them to do what God had given them to do a thousand years before. Um, to be a light to the Gentiles. So the Jewish people are a little peanut size-wise in comparison comparison to the old the entire world and how could they be a light to the nations only by the power of the holy spirit and going out to the nations to preach to every uh, to every single creature and so here it is christmas that savior is finally born the son of david and he grows up a man before us and dies on the cross for the sin that separated us from god that a million Old Testament sacrificial lambs could never do. They were dead. But this one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, rose from the dead to give life to all who will come to him. And he said to them, now go, now go, and fulfill the vocation that I've given you to be a light to the nations. And so there is now bringing it up to Christmas, to the temple. (coughs) There is the aged Simeon, waiting for the Lord's Messiah. He knew he was born. And now, according to the uh, old law, according to the Mosaic law, um, his parents, um, Mary and his foster father, Joseph, brought him to the temple to present turtle doves as a sacrifice in place of the firstborn, according to the law of Moses. And there they came. And Simeon somehow had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not 
see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. He was an old man, and he stood outside the temple waiting and waiting and waiting because God promised him he would see the Lord's Messiah. And there were hundreds of couples coming with their babies to the temple, but Mary and Joseph came, the baby in Mary's arms, and Joseph carrying the two turtle doves, the sacrifice of the poor. And Simeon spotted that baby, and he went to them, and he took up that little child, and he looked up to heaven, and he said, Lord, I can die now. Dismiss thy servant, I can die now. Nunc dimittis, dismiss thy servant in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. That little baby is God's salvation. Jesus means salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to thy people Israel. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. Um, why, why a light for revelation to the Gentiles? Because that was their calling back in Isaiah. That was God's plan from Abraham on, from Genesis chapter 12 on, actually from, from Genesis 3, the woman on, whose seed would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It's always been God's plan. So a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that is the Messiah, to spread salvation to the ends of the earth and revelation and glory, rather, to thy people Israel. Glory, the full manifestation of his coming to earth through the people he formed from Abraham on. Their glory, he is their glory. He is, the scriptures say, the lifter up of their head. He is the manifestations of, manifestation of all God's plan for the salvation of mankind. And so that is epiphany, the revelation of light to the Gentiles. The glory of his people Israel happened at the incarnation. And light for revelation to the Gentiles happened uh, how many days later? The 25th, 6th, 12 days later, at the Feast of Epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation. The manifestation of God's glory, of his appearance, of his salvation to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world, to everyone else, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, to the rest of the world. Epiphany is the fulfillment of all God has promised right from Adam and Eve on. It is huge. Um, we think, think about the wise men coming. We understand a few things, but it is absolutely huge. It is why the world knows the Messiah today. And it is why Israel didn't fail, because the light went out to the Gentiles. Israel has not failed, and the gospel went out to the ends of the earth, those wise men knew to follow that star. They knew that the Savior would be born. God has manifested his way, his salvation, the coming of his son throughout the world. I remember one Protestant missionary, I think Don Richardson, who went to, I don't know, it was New Guinea, who went, it was, it was um, some pagan people. And he went and he told them, the missionaries told them about 
this Jesus, God who came to earth. And they said to him, Oh, we know. We already know. We just didn't know his name. I, it's amazing. I think uh, that, that the story is in a book called Eternity in Their Heart. God has put eternity in their heart. We knew. We knew he came to earth. We just didn't know his name. We, we, we need to know. Tell us more about him. It's amazing. It, it, God has his way of bringing the world to himself. But he's chosen us, his people, to do that, Jew and Gentile alike. He's broken down Ephesians chapter 2, the middle wall of partition. We are all God's people, every one of us, grafted in to the vine that is Israel. And if Israel left him, left God, they would be regrafted in. Read Romans chapters 9 through 11, especially chapter 11. We are the people of God through Israel. Roy Shoman was an Orthodox Jew and became Catholic, calls the Catholic Church the... Um, um, the oh, let's see now. Post-Messianic Judaism fulfilled in its Messiah. Post-Messianic Judaism fulfilled in its Messiah because Judaism is no longer... Um, uh, no longer the Old Testament, or rather the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant is fulfilled. It no longer exists. Judaism has been fulfilled in its Messiah and spread to the four corners of the earth. So the first Jews, Jesus came to his own, they were Jews. And those who followed him initially were called the way. And other Jews who didn't believe in him, mocked the Jews who followed him and said, you're following him, you're his followers, you're Christians. That was a term of derision. To tack I-A-N onto a word, it, we know it today. It's a suffix meaning belonging to. It's ownership. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. You belong to Christ, you fools, you Jews. You're Christians. It was a term of derision. It was to mock them, but they loved it because they wanted to be slaves of Christ, bond slaves, slaves of their own free will. And they loved it, and it stuck. They were first called Christians, the scriptures say, at Antioch. And it stuck. And we're proud to be called Christians today. We are followers of Christ, disciples, learners, and we are proud to be. Christianity is Jewish, beloved. The first believers were Jews who believed that our Lord fulfilled the Old Covenant. Now, there's five covenants in the Old Testament. The Abrahamic covenant is still in force and will be to the second coming of Christ. The Mosaic covenant was provisional and conditional to show the Jewish people how to live just as we're Benedictines and we have a rule under St. Benedict. We know how to live our religious life. And the Old Covenant under Moses was telling the Jewish people to form a people as God's own people. This is how you live this is how you rule. This is how you worship. This is how you eat and drink and behave. That was conditional on their obedience, but they disobeyed. And Christ came and fulfilled the Mosaic law, and now it no longer exists. But the law of Abraham, the covenant with Abraham, perdures till the end. Um, and he promised a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that is what Christianity is through Israel to the entire world, an epiphany 
is the fulfillment of that, beloved, or the beginning of the fulfillment. It's glorious. We'll be right back. Please join us in a prayer for unity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My adorable Jesus, may our feet journey together. May our hands gather in unity. May our hearts beat in unison. May our souls be in harmony. May our thoughts be as one. May our ears listen to the silence together. May our glances profoundly penetrate each other. May our lips pray together to gain mercy from the Eternal Father. Amen. O Blessed Lady, spread the effective grace of thy flame of love over all humanity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We the people are guaranteed five freedoms in the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. Freedom to peaceably assemble. Freedom to petition the government. Only the United States has these five freedoms so simply bound together and guaranteed. Think first. Learn more at thinkfirstamendment.org. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station of the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live. I am here. I know I say that and it's obvious, but I love it. I'm so pleased when we can be together. And this is our half hour. Anything that's on your heart, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart, not necessarily what we're speaking about. And the toll-free number to call with anything on your heart, our lines are open, is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Jamie, which... I read yesterday and I said I had to look up um, the answer, Jamie, uh, for you. He says, hello, Mother. Do you know the reason why the Eastern Orthodox and I think the Eastern Catholics celebrate Christmas on a different day? It seems strange to celebrate such an important day on different dates, especially with fellow Catholic Christians. Well, um, I did look this up, Jamie, and uh, on several uh, sources, and they all agree it's the difference of two calendars. Um, Every year on the 6th and 7th of January, millions of Orthodox Christians around the world celebrate Christmas almost two weeks 
after their Western counterparts have already feasted and rung in the new year. For several countries in Europe, including Ukraine, Serbia, Montenegro, Russia, Belarus, parts of Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, and African countries such as Egypt and Ethiopia, 6th January is Christmas Eve. The reason for the difference in festivities is due to the separate calendars that Catholic and Orthodox Christians use to mark the birth of Christ. I'll just read a little further here. Introduced by Pope Gregory XIII in 1582, the Gregorian calendar is the world's most widely used civil calendar and the one that we, Western Christians, use, including Catholics and Protestants. We used to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. The calendar was initially proposed to make sure that Easter, the church's most important festival, always fell around the spring equinox in response to a gradual time drift that was occurring under the previous used Julian calendar. But Orthodox Christians excluding the Greek Orthodox Church, which adopted the Gregorian calendar in 1923, and parts of the Ukrainian faithful still use the Julian calendar today. It is a solar calendar. I say just like the Hebrews use a solar calendar. It's a solar calendar that was implemented in 46 B.C. by Julius Caesar, called the Julian calendar, and is a whole 13 days later than its Gregorian counterpart, the almost two-week gap was caused by a slight miscalculation when the Julian calendar was first devised, leading to it falling more and more out of sync with the solar year as the centuries passed. As a result, Orthodox Christmas will eventually fall on the 8th of January by the year 2100. For now, though, Starting on the 6th of January, Eastern Europe Christians traditionally fast until the first star appears in the night sky, symbolizing the birth of Jesus. Um, uh, Let me just read a little bit more. It is traditional to greet friends and family with Christ is born and reply with glory to him uh, or he is truly born. The 6th of January celebrations are not to be confused with the Day of Epiphany, which is celebrated by Christians following the Gregorian calendar to mock the revelation of God in human form as Jesus. See, the revelation of the light to the Gentiles. It is also the day the three wise men following a star in the desert, the desert night sky, appeared in Bethlehem at Jesus' side following his birth most notably celebrated in Spain as El Dia de los Reyes. The Orthodox Christmas Eve meal is traditionally meat and alcohol-free, usually consisting of 12 dishes representing the 12 apostles. Um, And it goes on quite a bit with the Orthodox customs. But Jamie, that's the issue. Um, The Orthodox are still using the Julian calendar uh, made before Christ, which is a little out of sync with the solar calendar. And so their Christmas is going to continue 
to be further and further away from the Gregorian calendar's Christmas, which we use. We have an email from Catherine who says, I am disabled and my church has us sit, us sit in the last pew so the Eucharistic minister can bring us Holy Communion. I'm guessing by us you mean all that who are disabled. I will not take it on the tongue by her or him. I would love to go to the front to the priest, but I cannot walk that far with my cane. I do not like taking Jesus in my palm. What can we do? I think you erred here. You said you will not take the host on your tongue. I think you meant you will. You will only receive our Lord on your tongue. Um, And she says, I would love to go to the front to the priest, but I cannot walk that far with my cane. I do not like taking Jesus in my palm. What can we do? Well, a couple of things I'll suggest. Um, That's an absolute shame. Number one, there should not be a Eucharistic minister, even though the church allows it. And that they have you sit in the back is not good. You'd be sitting in the front pew. And the priest should serve you himself. But uh, one thought is, rather than use a cane, can you use a walker? And then you walk right up to the front with everyone else. So if you can use a walker for support, uh, that would be hopefully the answer. And if you cannot, have your friends save up to get you a wheelchair and let them wheel you to the front. Um, There's no reason why you should sit in the back and have to receive the king of the world on your palm. We have an email from Miguel. Um, Hello, Mother. You've done a great job explaining why women should wear reverend head coverings in church. But I'm wondering why men are supposed to uncover their heads in church. And where does the line get drawn for priests and religious to have their heads covered versus not? Also, are berettas required for traditional priests? Sometimes I see priests who do not use them. Thank you, and Merry Christmas, Mother. Miguel, dear, I don't have all the ins and outs of this, but in general, the, women, the reason women cover their heads is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Let's see if I can have it here. First um, Corinthians. Where did he go? Hold on now. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I bring these sites up and then inadvertently shut them down without realizing I'm shutting them down. My my uh, my mouse is too my computer mouse is too sensitive, but it's Paul's words that women should be veiled in church, um, uh, and that is out of respect for God, humility, and respect for God. They are not to go without head coverings, and so. That's why women veil themselves in church, why religious wear veils. It's a matter of respect. It's the opposite for men. For men to remove their hats is a matter of respect. Uh, It used to be that men would remove their hats not only entering a church, but entering a house, passing a woman. Um, uh, Anything, anytime they went indoors, they would remove their hats as a, as a matter of respect. Um, men are in position of authority and women are in a position of submission. 
in the plan of God. Not abuse, but submission. Um, and it's always been that way, that men, if you, if you look at the priests who wear berettas, they will always remove their beretta. Cardinals, everyone, bishops, will remove the beretta or their yarmulke skullcaps when they celebrate Mass and the Eucharist is before them. They will always um, remove their uh, beretta or skullcap or whatever they're wearing, and they will bow to the Eucharist. They will bow to God, always remove it. Every time they're speaking Scripture or giving a homily and the name of Jesus is mentioned, they will always remove whatever head covering they have. It's a sign of respect. Um, So for women, it's a sign of submission and humility and reverence. For men, it's a sign of reverence as well that they remove their head covering out of respect. I had an entire article on it, dear ones, and I don't, it just closed down. If I could find it during the next break, I'll bring it up again and be able to, uh, and be able to read it to you. Um, okay. Um, I, I can't answer you more than that, but you can read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and I, I, I'd have to, again, I'd have, I'm so sorry, I'd have to look up the chapter for you. Okay. Um, well, priests don't have to use Berettas. It's traditional that they do. Uh, many, much holy tradition has gone by the wayside since Vatican II, and it's a shame. But in any case, um, they're not required for traditional priests. I don't know if they're required. I, I, every time a, a traditional priest um, processes in and processes out, he always wears his beretta. He takes it off during the Mass, but he will already has his um, skullcap or yarmulke, I forget if it's called something else, on uh, under the Beretta, and he'll keep that on during the Mass, except when it comes to the Eucharist and the consecration, he will remove it. And serving the Eucharist, to serving communion, he will remove that skullcap as well, as a sign of reverence before God. Okay. Um... Let me just see. James is um, uh, James has just given me um, the the passage for it in First Corinthians. Oh wow, James, you're just too good to be true. That's a song, isn't it? Um, all right. Um, amazing. What verse here? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, I have to see what verse it is. Um, world, God shows what is long. Christ. No, I don't see it offhand. So, um, I will take a look at it. It's 1 Corinthians, but it doesn't look like chapter 1. I'll look at it during the break, dear ones. James, we absolutely love you. Okay. Um, we have um, <clears throat> an email from uh, someone who writes in anonymously and says, um, hold on. How does a Catholic mother address her concerns to her adult 
Catholic daughter about not only attending yoga classes, but instructing them. I tried to explain what I know about the church's stance on yoga to her, but she says she's not practicing any other religion and that the others at the yoga studio are Christians. Thanks, concerned Catholic mom. Well, your daughter, of course, is wrong, and she's very weak in her Catholicism because were she a a true faithful Catholic, if she knew the faith, she would not do that. Um, Ask her if she would go to New Age and conduct a New Age class with Christians and say, no, 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 it's just, I'm just instructing them, not, 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 um, uh, not practicing a new age. I'm just instructing them. Uh, it's new age, and it's of the devil. And um, she's deceived, and she's deceiving others, and she's going to be greatly accountable before God. We'll be right back after the break, beloved. beloved this is mother miriam how would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests you can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m eastern on the station of the cross you can listen on the station of the cross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic radio mobile app god bless you the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station, what it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic. It has enriched my faith and sold me during tough times. It made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the Programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, we have 10 minutes. It's our last segment. Our lines are still open. You are most welcome yet to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483. Um, 
Let me see. Uh, is it Jamie? We found... No, I think it was Catherine, wasn't it? Hold on now. On, on the matter of head coverings, it was uh, Miguel. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going through all the names. Miguel, um, thanks to my dear producer, James. We've got it now. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which Paul begins... Um, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And he sends this, <clears throat> he says this, I commend you, and this is the question of head coverings for women and men, why women should wear them, and why men, why it's an act of reverence for women to wear a head covering and an act of reverence for men not to wear a head covering in church and in certain circumstances. Paul writes, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. And of course, Paul is not talking about the traditions of men, but the traditions of God, capital T. <clears throat> he says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Any man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her wear a veil. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a woman ought to have a veil on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. It is, pro is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that for a man to wear long hair is degrading to him? But if a woman has long ha hair, it is her pride, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is disposed to be contentious, we recognize no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So, Miguel, we may not fully yet understand this. We can unpack this some and do research and give a fuller explanation. But these are God's orders. These are God's words. So until we fully understand them, um, we obey. What the church teaches, what Scripture teaches. And so um, uh, why men are supposed to uncover their heads First Corinthians chapter 11 asks, answers, where does the line get drawn for priests and religious to have their heads covered versus not? You've got the, um, you've got the answer in, in that. Again, priests can have their heads covered, but not when they act in persona Christi, um, uh, in the person of Christ. Then they remove their berettas and their yarmulkes, their skull caps. Okay. Um, Bonnie from New York is on the line. Hi, Bonnie. Hello, Mother. 
It's so I good do. to speak with you. Um, I have a, a question. I'm going to read what it was what was in the bulletin, and you can give me your um, opinion on this. Sure. They're going to have a kids' night under the dome at our National Shrine and Basilica, and it says families are encouraged. What, to bring what their shrine and basilica is that? What is it? Where? What well, city? Be, oh, our Lady of Victory National Shrine and Basilica in okay, Buffalo. Okay, go ahead. Wow, go ahead. Okay, and it says on Saturday, uh, January 6th from 5.30 to 7.30, families are encouraged to bring their kids to experience the dome of the beautiful basilica. Bring a blanket, sleeping bag, and wear your comfy clothes or pajamas to lie on the floor under the magnificent dome. See the story of the Magi come to life and experience the amazing St. John's Bible up close. Now, I, I didn't I I didn't know if that was appropriate to have, you know, that kind of event in, this, in the church. Yeah. No, it should be in the basement or a, um, a social hall next door. You know, something like that would be a lot better than to do it in the church. Church is a sacred place. Is the Eucharist, when, you, when they sleep under the dome, um, is the Eucharist... Uh, in the same room or exposed in any way to well, them the while they would be sleeping? Yeah, tabernacle. the tabernacle is, is right there in the church, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's right, they're right there. I'm just concerned no, about the respect. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're, you're ruining your children. You're teaching them that religion is a thing of the past. It used to be holy, but no longer is. Um, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You must go to the priest and tell him this um, and that it's a sacrilege. Um, we have uh, our tabernacles to prostrate ourselves before, but not to bring a sleeping bag. Um, and if not, uh, you can go to the bishop, but it's the Bishop of Buffalo. That's Bishop Scharfenberger right now, isn't it? Or was there a new bishop? Bishop Fisher. Bishop Fisher. Michael Fisher, right. I don't know about him or how orthodox he is, but you need to go to your own priest and uh, tell him that this uh, is a matter of great irreverence and disrespect and should never be, children should, the, the honor and reverence to God should never be degraded in children's eyes, ever. Um, it's a place of worship, not of sleeping. And so, as long, if the Eucharist is right there, the tabernacle is there, uh, just ask the priest if, if there's, a, at, your, at your own parish, uh, bring the children back and let them sleep in the church basement or church social hall, but not there. And, and if he, what's the date of this? Um, it's this Saturday. No. I would go uh, today, go to your priest, um, because it's the priest of your church that has okayed this, correct? Everybody went to, to call the priest, and they said that they want to encourage families to come and join the faith. And uh, I, ca ta I called the bishop's office also. But then I always question myself, Mother. So oh, no, that's I a fine thing to question yourself. But if you want to bring families to come and join the faith, tell them, that they are bringing families to destroy the faith, not to uh, 
not to bring them in. You can't bring them into something that is a diabolical thing. They need to know that in the tabernacle is the God of the universe. And we don't bring slumber parties to him. We go on our knees and bow and worship him. And then we leave that place with sleeping bags to sleep elsewhere. Thank you, Mother. I love okay, you. Bye. I love you too. Make sure you get back to that priest today and also to the bishop. It's very, very important to stop this. Okay. Thank you. All right, Bonnie. God bless you, honey. All right, bye-bye. And and beloved, that looks like the end of our program. Um, And so, God willing, we will be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the eve of Epiphany. Uh, Teach your children, beloved. Teach them what it is. It's not the story of three wise men visiting the baby. It is, but it's the fulfillment of Israel's calling to be a light to the nations and the glory of his people Israel. God bless you. Speak with you tomorrow.